This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. to Blockbuster Film School, the world's greatest film school. I am your favorite teacher, Alex Bonner, joined by the teacher that you secretly enjoy the fourth. most. Your fourth favorite teacher. Your fourth out of three. <laughs> What's your name, you you handsome young devil? I am uh, Nick Souter. That's correct. Cor- currently. I'm glad you figured out your own name. <laughs> I was trying to figure out whether or not to do my Ian Curtis impression. Oh, no. Like, should I derail this from the beginning of the episode, or Ian, should I wait? Ian Curtis, like the guy in Prometheus, Ian Curtis, where he gets uh, attacked by a cobra dick. Get away from that. <laughs> or the real Ian Curtis, who I'm sure is just watching us now from heaven, jerking off. You know, that's how heaven works, right? Don't. Make that joke about the listen, guy. Listen, what else is he supposed to do up there? I don't know. I don't feel terrible. Listen, I was barely paying attention during catechism class. Well, everyone, you are at Blockbuster Film School. You have come. You are listening. You want some deep, deep knowledge of the world of motion pictures. And me and Nick are going to give it to you. We're, or surface level pain. <laughs> or we're going to attempt it. This week, we have chosen... One of America's favorite actors, truly, I honestly, like, does anyone have anything bad to say about this person? Does anyone have anything to say about this person? <laughs> His name is Forrest Whitaker. I like Forrest Whitaker a lot. He's I'm, great. He's amazing in everything he does. He has that kind of Jimmy Stewart quality a little bit, though, where he does awesome stuff. And then it's like he has no personal life. He just disappears. <laughs> Back into what he does. He reappears in a movie, is amazing in it, and then disappears back. And then when you read Jimmy Stewart's biography, it's the most boring thing you've ever fucking read in your entire life. Because you're like, so he was just real good at acting. and Droopy eye. (laughs) Getting out of the way. Getting out of the way. Okay, okay. I'm getting out of the way. Yes. It's never going to be brought up again. But it's his signature look. Yes. That's an element, too. It's like very, very famous, very dramatic actors. Actors who have that kind of quality you can be a little weird. You can have yeah. a, you can have a touch of a weird. Like uh, we did a uh, you know Steve Buscemi episode. Mm-hmm. You know Buscemi appears to be sort of a goblin man. Yes, you know not exactly a human, but kind of half man, half goblin, and half man, half praying mantis. Ooh, interesting. He can see in three hundred sixty degrees. That is true. But he's one of our favorite actors, and he's so, literally my favorite actor. That's fair. And I, I love Forrest Whitaker. The cat after him. Forrest Whitaker's also his career is. All over the place. Let's yeah. put it that way. It is completely fucking bonkers. The man has never said no to anything. <laughs> he refuses to say no. Yeah. People just walk up and hand him things on the street. Do you want to be in a Star Wars movie? Yes, I do. That's fine. Do you want to be in 12 episodes of that show where the guy lied about being attacked? What the fuck's that show called? This is some serious film knowledge you're dealing with. We research this, people. <laughs> Here's a little secret fact for our uh, students here on the Blockbuster Film School. I don't know dick all about television. If we start going into deep dives of television, I know, I know some of it, but I don't know that much. People are like, you know that show? That show that What's-His-Face made? He was the same guy who started that show about the doctor who solved mysteries in Cincinnati. Like, I have no idea what you're fucking talking about. No, you know that show? The show where the guy, he wore a hat, but he also could go through a portal and talk. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't really watch television that much. So, (laughs) let's go into Forrest Whitaker, shall we? Forrest Whitaker, born in Texas in July 15th, 1961. He went to California State Polytechnical Institute University, which is only super nerds are allowed to go there. But he ends up going to, like, the music conservatory at the University of Southern California for opera. This is the kind of dude we're dealing with. He got into, like, a place that only nerds are allowed to go to who make robots and computers. And then he was like, fuck that noise. I don't want to do that. And so he ends up getting into one of the hardest conservatories in the world to get into for opera, which he does. And then he changes his major and becomes a actor at USC and goes to USC's Drama Conservatory, which also they don't let anybody into. 
and he's awesome at that and gets a bachelor's in fine arts uh, with a degree in acting in 1982. And then he comes out and he goes to New York, the New York University's Gallatin School of Individualized Study, which if you don't know what that is, for like fucking theater people, that's even kind of more intense than Juilliard. That is something that nobody is allowed to go to. That is... Um, what's that asshole's name? The guy, you know, the Will Ferrell character, the, like, what are three curse words that you would yell at God? James Lipson. James Lipson, yes. Those are the two of my words I would yell at God. (laughs) If you were to ride a horse in a movie, how big would its penis be? If I were to interview Sean Penn, would I bring up any of the fucked up shit he's done? Absolutely Or would I suck his dick? (laughs) So, yes, he went to the actor's studio, basically. I like that YouTube clip of Bradley Cooper asking a question in the actor's studio to Sean Penn. He's like, um, if you were going to be a professional actor, should you yell the N-bomb at the paparazzi? And Sean Penn's like, yes, yes, you definitely should do that. You should 100% do that. Because and then Alec Baldwin popped out of nowhere and was like, yes. <laughs> yes, 100%. Call him the F-word. We do it all the time, and I never get in trouble. But Forrest Whitaker... He starts out, he's a theater actor, a really accomplished theater actor. He, His first main theater performance is a Dylan Thomas play. Dylan Thomas, the famous Irish poet and playwright, uh, one of his last plays. Forrest Whitaker plays the lead in it when he is a young man. But then Hollywood calls. I don't know. <laughs> when was the first time you ever saw Forrest Whitaker? What do you remember about Forrest Whitaker? The first, like, when did this guy pop out at you? Okay. When did you see him? I'm going to feel real bad with this answer. Okay, do it. Uh, I'm not going to tell Is it Phenomenon? No, because you know why? Why? Blown Away was first. Well, that's fair. He met, I, his, he met his wife on that movie. He did. Um, in case you haven't figured it out from this podcast, I was a real weird, lonely kid who watched way too many movies. Oh, so yeah. the fact that there was Same. a movie with not only Jeff Bridges, <laughs> but Timey Lee Jones. Yeah. No. I was like, oh, I'm going to wait till this is on Showtime and I'm going to tape it on a VHS tape. And that movie is about heavy wind gusts, right? Yes, it is. It's about people on unicycles oh. who can't go downhill in San Francisco. <laughs> it's about crazy things that blow you away. Woo. It's blowing me away. What is blown away about? Do you remember? I, I do. Timer Lee Jones is in jail in Ireland. He's one of those IRA bombers. Mm. And he escapes to go track down Jeff Bridges, who put him in jail? This is Irish he impression. put me in jail. Yeah. Yo, we can't. Tommy Lee Jones' impression of an Irishman is as bad as my impression of yes. Tommy Lee Jones. That sounds correct. So he goes to Boston, because that's where all the Irish are. That is true. Boston. <laughs> We've quarantined them to one position. Finally. And <laughs> he tracks down Jeff Bridges, who is a bomb tech person mm-hmm. who is training people in Boston to be bomb techs. Okay. And one of the people in the class is Forrest Whitaker. Oh, so he's a cop in it. He's a cop. Oh, that's weird. Forrest Whitaker being playing a cop. Forrest Whitaker playing a cop. Oh, no way. Blow, it blew me away. Um, <laughs> that's what the title comes from. It does. I can't he, believe how good an actor is just playing a bit part in this. Here's the thing about this movie. It is so cheesy. Yeah. It is 90s. It is to... <laughs> It is to bombs what yeah. hackers is to computers. <laughs> I like I like that. And now yeah. there was a lot of that where in the '90s cinema Hollywood was just like, "What's the subject? Yeah. Let's make a fucking ridiculous version of this. We don't give a shit. These people will go and see it. Yeah. They're idiots. Yeah. The internet doesn't exist yet. And I'm high as fuck on cocaine. That is the king of Hollywood. That is uh, Mr. Joel Silver, <laughs> Mayor McHollywood, Joel Silver himself. You know what's funny is the first movie I ever saw him in. He was also a cop. And it was a movie called Bloodsport. And it is a movie that changed America. It changed the world, really, in which JCVD had to fight people in an underground fighting tournament. And the cops were also after him. But he was secretly in the CIA. And also his girlfriend, I want to say, like, worked for USA Today. It didn't really make any sense. But... JCVD was like at the height of being like hot JCVD. He's just for the, can I interrupt? Yeah. For those of the audience who don't know JCVD, yes, it is Jean Claude Van Damme of Tostitos fame. Yeah. So pull your head out of your ass. He's yeah. Jean Claude Van Damme. <laughs> he is the muscles from Brussels. He does the splits and then punches you in the nuts. That's just what he does. There's nothing you can do about it. 
and it's a signature move. In Bloodsport, Force Whitaker is, I want to say, like the FBI or something. And they're- They got everybody in this movie. Yeah, and they're after him because they're mad at him. It doesn't really make any sense, but in the end, he wins them over by beating up a bunch of people from China. And that's the podcast. And that's the podcast, everybody. Hey, great job. We did a great job. We did a great job. Uh, no, okay. So, all right. So, Hollywood Hollywood says, we need your ass here. We need you to be in weird movies that we've decided you should be in. And that is one of my favorite movies, honestly. Truly one of my favorite movies. The 1982 Amy Heckerling, Cameron Crowe classic, Fast Times at Richmond High. In which he plays the football star who has the classic line, when he is asked, hey, is that your car? It's a nice car. He just turns and says, don't fuck with it. And I think that's his main line. I think that's, when was the first time you saw Fast Times? I saw Fast Times, uh, like, immediately after it came out. <clears throat> In the 80s? In the 80s. I was a kid when I saw it because I was like. Oh, that, was, that uh, explains why you're so scarred. Yeah, no, I was like three years old when I saw it because. Oh, yeah. My grandfather was still alive and we were just in my parents' living room talking and he said something. I just go, you dick. <laughs> and he looks at my parents and goes, I was called worse today. <laughs> he was a good sport. And then he pulled out a picture of Jennifer Jason Lee's tits and you were like, yes, correct. This is Don't the- disrespect the dead motherfucker. <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee is totally alive. He had Phoebe Kate's tits. Oh, my grandfather's dead. That's what I meant. Tits. Come on. I'm sorry. I was confused on how nice your grandfather's tits were. Um, this is my last episode. <laughs> Everybody, it's the last episode of Blockbuster Film School in general. Um, but then, even though that isn't that crazy of a role, he does kind of stand out from. There's everybody in that movie. Cage is in that movie. We Phoebe Cates, Jennifer Jason Lee, Judge Reinhold. There's a ton of big '80s actors and actors who have gone into infinitum in that movie. And he does sort of stand out. He plays it differently than everybody else does. Oh, Sean Penn's in that movie. Have you ever heard of Spicoli? In 1986, have you ever heard of Martin Scorsese? You ever heard of him? He's a guy. He directed some movies. He made this movie about Tom Cruise being good at pool and doing a music video to Warren Zevon's Werewolf of London, which I'm pretty sure they just wrote backwards from when they made it. And... Him and Paul Newman try to steal people's money while playing pool, which was a thing that people apparently used to do. They probably still do. I don't know. My uncle's in that movie. He's an extra. Really? Yeah. Because a lot of it is filmed in Chicago. A lot of, like, there's a couple of places in Jefferson Park they filmed a lot of that. We're in Humble Park right now. In Chicago, Illinois. That's how you pronounce that. Yeah. And you said you weren't going to do it. I've, hey, listen, man. We film at the nicest studio here in the history of the world here at, Fucking Blockbuster Film School Studios. Uh, Which is currently downstairs from where we live. Yes. In an empty haunted apartment. No! All the the doors keep opening. No way. And the ghosts are not mad about how shitty the pastel colors are in here. But he's in The Color of Money. And he's also in your favorite movie, Oliver Stone's Platoon. Which is about the Vietnam War. And about how... War is good. War is good. It went good. Everyone yeah. had a good Everyone time. Everyone was happy. Charlie Sheen was having a great time. He, Tom Berenger had the best Tom time. Berenger. That part where they play volleyball yeah. is fabulous. And then Willem Dafoe comes up to him oh. and does that thing with his teeth. Like, oh. <laughs> him and Willem You're Dafoe. Dangerous. This is a movie about hugging, mostly. Yeah. And it ends with him saying, you could be my wingman anytime. Yes. But he also, he kind of steals that movie a little bit. He's the kind of, like, everyone else is doing their weird 80s acting their ass off thing. And he is still doing his character study, creating his own weird character that is completely unique. Every single, this is something that I've noticed though. Every single Forrest Whitaker movie, you get a very different performance. Each character that Forrest Whitaker creates is unique from the last. There's no thing like that. Charlie Sheen, for instance, does where it's like, this is Charlie Sheen. Like this is, this is what he's, he's doing this now. He's him. There's, you can't. If at any point during the chase, right. Charlie Sheen was like, I got PTSD from Vietnam. They'd be like, oh, this movie makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yes. He's like, I'm going to have a Southern accent now. No, that's not happening. That's There's no uniqueness to this character. And I think it's something that kind of is amazing about Forrest Whitaker, but it also kind of is why maybe he is not 
as gigantic of a movie star because there he blends into each the, role. Yes. And in you, each movie, there's no Forrest Whitaker character. It's like, like he's never like, right. He's never doing the Nick Cage thing. He's never doing the Travolta thing. He's never like even fucking um, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has right. two fucking Oscars. Yes. He always gives a good thing, but he's always sort of Tom Hanks. I will, Okay, see, but Tom Hanks for me is like kind of the hybrid. He is the guy who can do his Hollywood WWF character where he is Tom Hanks, and that's what they want. But then Tom Hanks can become Forrest Gump or become these uh, weirder characters that are completely different than how Tom Hanks is and pull them off. I know you don't like Forrest Gump, but there's a lot of roles. You know what I'm saying? Like Philadelphia. There's a lot of roles that Tom Hanks has been able to pull off that are not Tom Hanks. But for the most part, it is interesting that there is kind of a WWF thing in Hollywood where it's like, this is your gimmick. I don't understand that reference. Okay. uh, Professional wrestling, right? That you are a character. You are this character, and this is what people came to see. They came to see Al Pacino yell at people in this movie, or they came to see later era Meryl Streep be a fucking really acidic, powerful boss. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's these roles that these people play and that's their shtick that has made them big money. Arnold Schwarzenegger at one point was supposed to like fuck up people and aliens and stuff and listen doing this, you know, like there is a character that Forrest Whitaker doesn't have any of that. Forrest Whitaker is truly an exceptionally skilled, well-trained actor who is not a movie star. It's weird, but he is though. I mean, we know who he is. Everybody knows who he is, right. but like nobody ever goes, oh, opening weekend on a Forrest Whitaker movie. <laughs> yes, exactly. yes, that is true. I'm so excited. Right, right. There isn't. Forrest Whitaker gets a lot of, oh, is that on video yet? Yeah, right. We'll, we'll get into that though, because there is a period where he is both kind of the A-list actor and the director. I mean, he, he has a yeah, fucking best to- picture Oscar. We'll get into this. So, I mean, but he's in like Good Morning Vietnam. He's in Bloodsport. Which we'll mention again. Which if you've never seen Bloodsport, it's nonsense. You should, spoiler alert, I think it's on my blockbuster wall for this episode. Just of, if you want to see some crazy ass early stuff for a lot of different actors, it's nonsense. It's mayhem. The first one though that earns him a lot of praise is, now my dad was talking about how Clint Eastwood movies before Unforgiven, Clint Eastwood was actually pretty good at directing movies. I do like High Plains Drifter. Play Misty for me is actually kind of good. You admitted it earlier. Oh, I was going to say it now. You stepped on my line. I'm sorry. We have a script. Stick to the script. I refuse. I am a method actor. No, Play Misty for me That's is what I've been pretty- crying for an hour. To get to that Forrest Whitaker place? <laughs> exactly. I've been crying for an hour for no reason. Um, anyways, no, Play Misty for me is a mm-hmm. creepy movie. Mm-hmm. Like, he wasn't a terrible director for a while. He, right. like, sort of just went through the motions after a long time. Almost spookily, he was regarded as kind of an actor's director yeah, because he was a famous actor and was willing to say, go with people he saw like Forrest Whitaker and write movies for them and allow them to have crazier parts. And I remember seeing there's a movie called bird, which is one of the earlier Clint Eastwood directorial movies. It is about Charlie bird Parker. If you don't know who Charlie Parker is, do yourself a favor, look him up. He was a amazing jazz musician he was a saxophonist, but he also had a pretty fucking bananas life. Did you know that no jazz musicians ever had weird lives and they never were up to crazy ass shit? What about Kenny G? Oh, well, dude, Kenny G is high on meth right now. And um, yeah, Kenny G likes to kill homeless people for fun. I don't know if you know that. Is that weird? That's what that movie Kenny G is about. It's about him just getting a boner from myrtleizing homeless people. But if you haven't seen Bird, it's I'll put it this way, though. Up to this point, Forrest Whitaker is being a really interesting method actor in small roles, in small bananas ass character roles. He is up to crazy shit. Literally when he's making these movies, people are starting to take notice in Hollywood. He is in small roles. Great. I mean, obviously platoon wins best picture. Fast times makes a ton of money. Bloodsport makes a ton of money. He is a character actor. He has a smaller role in these movies, but people are beginning to notice him as an actor and noticing the fact that he is standing out as somebody who appears to have actual acting chops. 
And to Clint Eastwood's credit, he's the first one who sort of plucks him out of character roles, side roles, and decides to make him the main character of a buyout movie that is... Clint Eastwood already understood that he was like, I'm going to make Oscar bait. I'm going to make some fucking Oscar bait. If there's anything that Clint Eastwood is actually really good at, he's like... It's Oscar bait. He really... He, he like, knows uh, what to do. He's like the fucking Zuckerberg of the fucking Oscar bait algorithm. This is the problem, though. Right. After Unforgiven, after he wins the Oscar, right. he, he basically it. makes two-hour trailers for Oscar bait. Correct. Those he, movies are vapid. Listen, it turns out you have a uh, wise old black man. You have a woman die. You have, like, an old man cry. It's, like, literally... Like, Unintentional racism that becomes very intentional later. To be fair, we can go into our Gran Torino episode at we one point. We really shouldn't. Listen, it... I'm pretty sure he just was like, what if I call somebody Dragon Lady? And then he wrote backwards from there. He was like... He was like that makes way too much sense. <laughs> he was like, but calling someone an egg roll is hilarious. Um, It's not hilarious. It's messed up. Don't ever call anyone an egg roll. But he takes Forrest Whitaker and he puts him in bird. Also, you get this first thing that Whitaker is doing, which is that he's really immersing the living shit out of himself into a role. He learns how to play the fucking tenor saxophone for this. He is good at it. Yeah. He's fucking, I mean, he was, you know, at one of the great fucking opera singing conservatories in college. But he fucking becomes a really good fucking jazz musician. He plays a jazz musician in two more movies after this. It's, he, because he already knows how to play yeah. the fucking saxophone. It's amazing. He is an amazing talent. He's like Prince. He literally is like, I can do anything you want me to do in acting. I can fucking do it. I'm goddamn Forrest Whitaker. It's nuts. And this changes everything because he does get nominated for an Academy Award. He wins the Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, he gets a Golden Globe nomination. And this is then the late 80s, and this puts him down a path. And this is where we come to, in my opinion, his other breakout, truly like his mainstream breakout role, which is your favorite movie, which is which Neil Jordan classic? The Crying the Game. Oh, it's not a woman. It's a man, baby. Oh, my God. Listen. I'm not being transphobic. That literally was how every single yeah. white group of parents regarded, reacted to that movie. And I'm going to say two things. Controversial. It. it was controversial, but also no, like. No, no, no. My thoughts are going to be oh, controversial. Oh, do it. Hit me. I want some hot takes. Here's some hot takes. A, Sleepaway Camp did it better. B, Fuck yeah. Train Spotting did it better. Well, because that's the whole sequel. But also, they okay. But I have a theory that maybe Danny Boyle, because him and Neil Jordan are both Irish, that they like they uh, like Danny Boyle was kind of playing with that a little bit. It was a little bit late, just a touch later, and was like, "Who gives a shit?" Yeah. The main twist is that the alien from Stargate is androgynous enough to pull off being a woman for half the movie. And then you're like, Oh no, she has a penis. But the main character that Forrest Whitaker plays is still in love with her. To be fair, I actually watched it as a kid, right? So did I. And that was I, the only time I've seen it. I actually kind of, I really liked it and I didn't get what people were upset about. Neither did I. I was like, I thought it was kind of amazingly beautiful. Yeah. I was like, the idea that it's it like an Irish poem about ladies having dicks. Kind of. Some yeah. sort of weird fairy thing. I don't know. Like, but the idea that you would love someone so much that even if it revealed some sort of cultural thing that you have been told you could not process and you could not deal with. You still said to yourself, I love this person that yeah. fucking much that I would like die for them. Spoiler alert. What the fuck happened to Neil Jordan? <laughs> That's a different episode. That's <laughs> you get hit in the head with a rock. How did he make good movies? I mean, I get it like drugs and alcohol and he just got old. Yeah, I know, but not particularly with film directors. We literally are talking about lots of film directors who are running around in their seventies and eighties still making fucking badass shit. They're not that Irish though. That, that's true. That is true. But if you tell me that really Scott didn't do a mountain of cocaine at one point, you are oh, he lying. Did. You he did. I'm pretty sure he's well. I'm pretty sure he's powered by cocaine. That's yeah. not his business card. His brother used to be. <laughs> RP. Well, we'll get, into, we'll get into Tony in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but The Crying Game comes out, and so Bird came out, and it got a lot of critical praise. It wasn't a big hit. 
big surprise that white movie-going audiences in the late 80s were not super into seeing a sad movie about Charlie Parker. That's a testament to how racist American cinema is. I don't know. Or movie-going audiences. I'm not entirely sure. And also, like, are there big smash hit movies that are not made by Disney that are super fucking depressing? Schindler's List? Well, okay. That's fair. I... I like Bird, but it is, it's an intense movie. It's, history is the biggest spoiler. Yeah, because you are, yeah, you already know Charlie yeah. Parker's life didn't go as high. No. He was a, an extreme talent, but, oh, spoiler alert, America was super racist and did terrible fucking things to this guy. Yeah. And he got real into, like, heroin and literally wasted a generational musical talent. And Forrest Whitaker's amazing playing he that. And, it's amazing. But it's not like, if you're, like, on a first date, you're like, you know what we should watch? We should watch Bird. You're the worst first date movie ever that I went on was. Oh, God. Yeah, no, get ready for this. There we go. This is real. The Meg. The girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh. The fucking Swedish front. We had no idea. Well, We had no idea. I have a story about that one as well. Uh, I saw the Fincher one, and it was Christmas, and it came out, and I wanted to see it. And I mentioned this offhand because I was with my mom and my grandma because it was like Christmas Day. And they were like, well, let's go see a movie. I was like, that new Fincher movie. <laughs> so we went and saw it. And during the rape scene, I was eating popcorn. <laughs> and my <laughs> grandmother leaned over to me and said, you're a ghoul. Nice. And I looked at her and I said, you know, that's not actually happening, right? <laughs> Is that really <laughs> That was an interaction I had with my 91-year-old grandmother. On Christmas. On Christmas in Fitch. a David Fincher movie. This is this should wow. explain something about the Bonner, yeah. Bonner Hardy family and the dynamic of it. From uh, Niles, Illinois. Niles, Illinois. No, we're from Chicago. Okay. okay. My okay. grandmother's not. Jeff Parker. I know. That's right. Uh, but uh, literally, though, in the in the second or third rape scene, yes. the girl from Dragon Tattoo, I just turn and I go, I am so sorry. Do you want to sneak into another movie? At least in the Fincher one, it turns into an awesome revenge movie. Yeah. Like, and the violence, the categorical violence that is fucking issued down upon fucking the rapers and the rapies is like very Fincher-esque and like nightmarish and deserving. But we can go into our girl with the dragon tattoo mayhem later. Yeah. Also, like, the crying game, though, is a smash hit also. Yeah, also, big hit. It is a huge hit. Gets nominated for Academy. It freaked everybody out, but it also, there is this element. It's good. It's a very good movie. If you haven't seen The Crying Game, I highly recommend it. It's worth watching. It still stands up, in my opinion. Like, back when Neil Jordan was really good at these really spooky, gothic, cerebral love stories that are also thrillers, it's set during the fucking, the Troubles in Ireland, and it's also Forrest Whitaker doing an Irish accent, like he's pulling it off, because he is an actual method actor. He's actually, I guarantee he did some fucking weird DiCaprio shit where he hung out with Irish people for like fucking four years and was made sure that every single slang word sounded right, or they would, you know, tell him he's an idiot. But this is like the breakout role. This is when he becomes, I know what you're saying, like he's not really like ever become that level, like let's go see the new Tom Cruise movie. He is still, at this moment, in the early 90s, Forrest Whitaker is elite. He's getting nominated for Academy Awards back to back. The National Board of Review for Best Acting Mine Ensemble like, he makes a Robert Altman movie called Predator. Porter. Have you ever seen this movie? No. <laughs> nope, me either. It's not Species. He's in Species. Does he get killed in Species? I don't remember. I've been Fuck. trying to think about it since the fucking... Also, if you've ever seen Species, it's one of those ones that came out in the mid-90s. There was this period of sexy thrillers. Yeah. Something that, like... No, li- he lives. Alfred Molina dies. Correct. Yes, nailed it. Yes, I'm literally yeah. remembering the movie as we're talking yeah. about. Natasha Henskrew. Natasha Hentridge. Hentridge. Michael Madsen. Yes. That he and made, Michelle he, Williams plays the young version of yes. the alien lady. Yes. Who will later just depress the shit out of everybody in every movie she makes. But there was a period in the 90s where there was like sexy thrillers, which we don't have at all. Like we literally don't have them anymore. No. I mean, we have them on like Netflix and you have them on HBO, but you don't have them. In theaters. In Hollywood They're theaters. not wide releases. No. And they were. There was like Sharon Stone, like, you know, Sliver and, uh, you know. Basic Instinct. Basic Instinct. And, you know, there's just these, wild things. Why, yeah, seriously. There's like sexy where you would, you might see a famous actress's boobs or a famous actor hangs dong, you know, like, and someone gets murdered over sex. 
you know, or recording sex on a VHS camera or something dumb. You know, it did. James Spader. Yes, and an aliens into sex. You know, and and I don't know what the hell was going on, but I assume now that you think about it, maybe. You know, this is like the rise of like Miramax. And there's like, it's like, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm really into like violence and sex. It's like, yeah, calm down, Weinstein. He's like, yeah, I'm just saying, I'm really into it. I really <laughs> like the way they mix the sex and the violence. <laughs> I like it. And he ends up basically like doing a lot of this kind of weird shit. Oh, no, I'm sorry. This is untrue. We have to talk about one of the greatest movies of all time. Brian Tepps, our super producer, his favorite movie in 1996. A John Turtletaub movie. God. <laughs> called. I forgot where this is going. Phenomenon. Okay. Starring John Travolta. About how John Travolta is God or something. I don't remember exactly how it works. It's fucking stupid as shit. He had a brain tumor. Right. That gave him ESP powers mm-hmm. and he can telekinesis powers. Sorry. Yes. Yes. It's basically if powder. He could take any size thing up his ass. Anything. Anything you want. You could shove a fucking grand piano up there. He could take it. This is officially called Alex Potter wants to get sued by Scientology. <laughs> That's the movie's about, right? I forget. But there has to be a wise black character, and that is the character that... I think he just plays the friend. Uh, he plays the friend, but the friend who offers the sage advice and the, hey, man, this is when we get into the period of Hollywood where we start to have sage black characters, where we have a sage black character offer advice and give the line in the second act that defines the weird white asshole who is now God or whatever. And what, you know, that's not the movie at all, right? That's exactly what the movie. Oh, are you serious? Yeah. Okay. That explained phenomenon. He gets telekinesis power from a brain tumor and he dies. Right. But he's not God. He's sort of like a God, right? He has like God like powers, right? And what he's supposed to do with them. And then you have force Whitaker be the kind of side character who sort of, explains to him like what he should be doing with his life. You know, what what he could do with these powers. And then he does, and he tries. And then at the end, tragically, he does die. But he tried. He did. He tried real hard. And it turned out that LRH was right. You can stuff anything up your butt, no matter what size it is. It doesn't matter. Listen, this is the kind of movie podcast you signed up for. Okay, well, oh, I'm sorry. All right, so... I apologize for making fun of Phenomenon. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a high-quality film. John Turtletaub directed Three Ninjas and The Meg and Cool Runnings. And both natural treasures. <laughs> both natural fucking treasures. <laughs> to be fair, for Phenomenon, he did win a Blockbuster Entertainment Award for Supporting Actor, which was apparently a thing. In 1996, at the height of blockbuster power, we'll do our own Oscars. Fuck you, Oscars. We're blockbuster video. We'll do whatever the fuck we want. Okay, so he makes a bunch of movies. He, I gotta say, though, he's in, like, full, like, major Hollywood mode, though. And it's funny, though, because I don't want to get too into, like, social elements of... But it is weird. It's like, Forrest Whitaker is this amazing actor and should be an A-list actor in major league movies and getting like a Oscar bait movie every fucking year. And they're just kind of not doing that. They're putting him in the side character and phenomenon with John Travolta. But I will say that then Jim Jarmusch kind of notices this. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm a fucking indie budget guy, but I got to tell you, dude, I have this fucking role for you. And I think my, my favorite Forrest Whitaker movie. And it's mine. He makes Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, which if you've never seen Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, came out in 1999, and it's a play on Melville's Le Samurai, the French New Wave film. It's about a hitman who is not like the other hitmen. He literally lives in solitude and follows his life to the Bushido Code of the ancient samurai, and it takes place in Brooklyn in the mid-90s. There's a lot of the... Jim Jarmusch style. There's a lot of the Wu-Tang clan in it. There's a lot of cool Jarmusch character actors in it. And, but it is a little bit of a noir because he, as a hitman, is sent to kill someone. And when he gets there, there's two people there. And one of them is a young woman. And that goes against the Bushido code. He can't do that. So then he has to try to protect her. And things escalate and get out of control. It's really fucking cool, and it's kind of like a 
early sort of like element of like having hip hop people in it. It does something different than Tarantino's doing with 90s cinema. It does something that nobody's doing with 90s cinema in terms of action movies incorporating French New Wave. I don't know. What did you think of Ghost Dog? I thought it was great. Yeah? It's a great movie. It's like all Jarmish movies where there's a lot of little quiet moments that sort of just slow down the movie, but then it all adds up back later. Mm-hmm. And when he wants to get loud, he gets loud. Yeah. And they're, man, he's good in it. He is. He's really good. He's This is the movie that I remember the most when people talk about Forrest Whitaker. It's one of the first movies I ever mm-hmm. bought on DVD. I remember still the top of his artist entertainment. Yeah. It's also one of the last great, like, 90s New Yorks that ever existed. Yeah, true. Very true. Yeah. And really cool, weird character things. Like, his best friend is a guy who speaks French. Yeah, and, and they don't understand each other. Well, they, so they do. they communicate. Right. They understand each other, but they don't speak the same language. Yeah. There's, you know, Jarmusch does a lot of weird meta stuff like that. And that but, guy went on to be in The Limits of Control, which is another Jarmusch movie. Yes, yes. And... I would love for Whitaker and Jarmusch to work together again. I Ghost Dogs on the Criterion. It's uh, something completely different. The New York Times, in a review of it, said that it's hard to think of another actor who could play a cold-blooded killer with such warmth and humanity. Yeah. And that's the fucking truth. And that's what makes it so unique. That's what makes it work. And that's what I love about, truly about Forrest Whitaker, is that he's able to construct these characters that are so fucking three-dimensional, even if they're just dopey characters in Bloodsport. They're fucking three-dimensional. They're always three-dimensional. But then we do have to talk about a movie because after that he makes... Really, you know, it's flawless, really. No one's ever said anything bad about it. It's a movie called Battlefield Earth. It makes me wonder about this. Because he was on Phenomena with John Travolta, did John Travolta be like, you're my buddy. You should make this movie. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. (laughs) Because he's not a Scientologist. No, he's a real person. He's like does meditation and stuff. Right. He knows what the universe is doing and what it feels like. He's already to- crossed the bridge. He's yeah. already fucking operating Thetan. That makes a lot of sense. You're a suppressive person. Have either of you ever seen Battlefield Earth? Not all of it. <laughs> Frank, give a thumbs down. I'm not going to say you should see Battlefield Earth. There's got to be like a hot cut of it on YouTube. Yeah, that's the way to go. Of, of nonsense bullshit scenes in it. Also, just so you guys know, and maybe I'm ruining my career here. L. Ron Hubbard was a hack. He was a complete fucking hack. His stories are stupid as fuck. He literally was a sci-fi writer who couldn't come up with dick. He literally, when he set a story way far in the future, he basically was like, it's so far in the future that everyone's like now. They have spaceships that look like planes and everyone dresses like they do now. He literally couldn't come up with dick. Yeah. Who came up with the dreadlocks? I I assume that was Travolta. Travolta was like, you know what's cool? Dreadlocks. Uh, white people. If you you guys ever hear this band called the Fugees, my kids are into it. Fucking, I get you, you think that's not real? That was like 1998. He was like, I saw this guy called fucking Wyclef Sean, and I think Elron would be into this. There is a real possibility of how dumb that is. That that's exactly how it went down. I, I would I would have assumed more corn than the Fugees. <laughs> he also would have pronounced it the Fudgies. Yeah, he wouldn't get it. He would. Yeah, yeah. right. There is an element where. For Battlefield Earth, Whitaker is nominated for a Razzie Award for Worst Supporting Actor, but he lost to Barry Pepper, who is in the movie. <laughs> and I've said this during pre-production, which also calling what we did pre-production, drinking on my desk, a stretch. But I hate Barry Pepper's face. I hate it so much. You call him one of the worst actors of all time. I which did. I, I stand by that comment. I, Barry Pepper is one so of the worst, worst actors. actors. There are so I'm many not wor- saying he's the worst. I'm, he is one of the worst actors of all time. And like most a, of it comes down to his fucking face. <laughs> it is so creepy. The man there taps his face right now. He is cringing like he's, he's going, watching he's the office. going at Pepper. Barry, I love you. I'm a big fan of you. I don't love you. I'm just saying you're, but this is harsh. Okay. Can I send a message to Barry Pepper? Yes. Wear a bag on your head. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be fair. I would watch that movie. I would watch that movie. It'd be so much easier. Barry Pepper back, isn't it? Because we're the handsomest guys who ever lived. I'm not saying he's not in good movies. I'm saying he's a better actor. Hmm? But he was in Battlefield Earth, and that is on him. You know what's funny is though, only two people came out of Battlefield Earth unscathed. Everybody else who made Battlefield Earth, who wasn't John Travolta or Forrest Whitaker, basically their career was like over. Alex Winter, career over. Everybody in terms of film, literally career over. You made Battlefield Earth over. Game over. Dunzo. 
Dunzo. You fucking did this. You made the fucking big Scientology Star Wars movie that fucking everyone hated. Your career is over. People have taken their names. Roger Christian, who fucking works on Return of the Jedi and a lot of stuff like that, like, over. Career over. Like, fucking... Well, because they fucking lost control of the movie to the Scientologists. Yes, right. Yes. But you signed on, like, with... (laughs) Money. I'm just saying. It's like, oh, Goebbels is making a new movie. Oh, and the Nazis took it over? Oh, weird. Oh, weird. oh so crazy that this would go this way. Like, no, you you made this movie. I do think that as big film nerds, though, you should watch Battlefield Earth. Like, I really, like, you could put it up there of, like, the worst atrocities in terms of film that Hollywood has ever done. You know, like Cutthroat Island. Yeah, and and even that doesn't have like weird social implications. I know. It's like it's just a shitty movie. This is yeah, if Pluto Nash sucks and it ruined an entire movie studio, but it just sucks. It's not like trying to make you buy into yeah. a religion with it's not, dumb bullshit. It's also not promoting eugenics the way Battlefield Earth exactly. is. Yes, yes. It's it really is. And as much as I love Forrest, it's like also you know what Pluto Nash has going for it? Mm. Not Barry Pepper's face. Last time I bring it up. To be fair, though, it kind of ruined his career a little bit. Like, Pepper? No, Forrest Whitaker. Like, no, he's, he's kept going, man. He, he wanted, kept going, but dude, in he the, was in Panic Room two years later. He was I, he goes from that to Fincher. Right, he's in, but he's back to being where he was before. Before okay, he's like, back to being pre Crying Game. He's back to being a really amazing character. He actor. was like he was back to that before he was in Ghost Dog. But Ghost Dog was a movie that made seven million dollars at the box office. It's a cult classic. Also, I will say this about Panic Room: he's the villain in it. He's the antagonist, and he's heartfelt. Dude, it's so good. He's so I, good. He should be the fucking villain in lots of shit. Yeah, he's like, great. I, he's so fucking like. I don't understand why people don't cast him as the villain all the time. Like he is an amazing antagonist in terms of like that was such a weird character, and I appreciated yeah. it. Yeah, it's another villain you care about. What happens then? And it leads into. His most lauded role, which I also really like, which is 2006 fucking He Makes the Last King of Scotland. And spoiler alert, Idi Amin Dada, the former fucking dictator of Uganda, is a villain. He's an asshole. He committed genocides. He ripped off people. He's a shithead. But the way that he's portrayed by Forrest Whitaker is fascinating. If you haven't seen The Last King of Scotland, do yourself a favor. That's definitely going to be something we're going to talk about at the end, but... The Last King of Scotland is this extremely unique, extremely weird experience where through McAvoy, you get to see this historical figure. Maybe the only time anyone's ever really actually pulled this off where it's like, I get why this guy's fucking charismatic. I get why this guy came to power. I get why he's here, but he is a fucking dangerous motherfucker. It's intriguing. I don't know. What did you think of The Last King of Scotland? I mean, here's the thing. Yeah. It's a great movie, but mm. I'll never watch it again. Ooh. Oh, yeah, no, I mean. It's, it's one of those movies. Yeah, it really is. It's scary. I mean, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Forrest <laughs> Whitaker is a fucking monster in that, and he deserves that Oscar. He's amazing. Mm. But He like, learns Swahili. Yeah, because that's fucking, what he does. Right. Same thing. He fucking character acted himself into being able, like, he learned to speak Swahili so that then his version of, English when he would speak to McAvoy would sound more like Ugandan Swahili English accent. Like it's spooky. It, I think that's the best word for him. His shit is fucking spooky. When Forrest Whitaker really is fucking on point and doing his stuff, he's spooky. How good it is, how much depth there is, how you're like, what the fuck am I watching? Like he transforms. He really does. He really becomes an entirely different thing. It's like, it is also kind of a weird racist Hollywood thing where they just like compare him to other black actors. It's like, I don't like that. I think that like, I try to think of other actors who are like that, who are capable, like Alec Guinness or something, who are capable of being spooky and becoming lots of weird other characters at like the drop of a hat. And you forget that they're them. You forget that they're them, but are also like super weirdly professional and come from the theater. So they have a little bit of this weird gravitas in the way that they speak and the way that they move. Oh yeah, his his like, voice is mesmerizing. Yes. In everything. It also jumps out when he's in a movie because a lot of these people are film actors around him. You can always tell when there's like some bad theater actor. <laughs> have you seen this David Harbour thing on Netflix? The 
Frankenstein's monsters, monster Frankenstein. I don't care for him. I don't watch it. Uh, it's only like an hour long and it's a hilarious special. And it basically just makes fun of like overacting theater actors who are like, oh, I've had enough of this, this plot line. Listen to me. You have to extend your voice. You know, like, and you can tell when that actor is in a movie. But when you do it right, when there is an Alec Guinness or a Forrest Whitaker, they just sort of bring a weird gravitas that the other, like, random dudes who are all, and women who are from, like, Southern California who are like, dude, I just signed up for this. It's like, yeah, I know you did. But I'm literally going to drop, like, crazy method acting on you now. Crazy Juilliard mind fuckery. Crazy Uta Hagen sort of, like, no, we are in this. I've come up with an entire 500-page backstory of my character and how I behave. Like, I don't know. It's intriguing. I And I've never heard any rumors about him like Daniel Lewis or something. He's like, I don't think he does the thing where it's like, now you have to refer to me. Yes. He's not an insane person. <laughs> right. He could right. be Forrest Whitaker before takes. Yeah. Between takes. But then once it happens. Once it happens, he's just in that mindset and that's it. it. It's really fucking impressive. Yeah. It's interesting. that Well, we'll talk about him and being in a Star Wars movie and the Alec Guinness element. I just feel like there's, that's the comp to me of like, Alec Guinness was also sort of a guy who was always flirting with being a leading man, but was often a character actor because he was so good at absorbing himself into roles, absorbing himself into being other characters. Like, have you seen the great debaters? No, I didn't see it either. Eh, We're idiots. We're pieces of shit. This is Brian's fault. This is totally Brian's fault. There's a lot of movies. There's a lot of really good movies that kind of come out, get a lot of general praise in the mid two thousands. But see, here's also when Hollywood starts to fall apart in a way where these movies are not movies that come out in the mainstream theater. So if you don't go to see them in the indie theater or you don't directly look for them on Amazon Prime, you're not going to see them. Like, they're not going to pop up. There no longer is Siskel and Ebert to tell you about things. You now have to seek out things that he's in. Yeah. And... I had no idea. He has 126 credits. That's what I'm saying. And a lot... There's a lot of stuff... After the mid 2000s, you know, there's a lot of stuff after The Last King of Scotland because he wins Best Actor. He wins fucking an Oscar for Best Actor, which he deserves. He deserves completely. Right. Then four years later, he's in Repo Men. He's in lots of fucking random shit that I've never heard of. And I was like, I've never heard of this. I've never heard of this. And and you know how big a fucking movie dorks we are. Like, I'm like, half this shit I've never heard of. I am ashamed of myself of not seeing The Great Debaters. Hopefully someone can tell us that's good or not. I don't know. Maybe fucking he can call us. Forrest, you can call us. We can talk about this. But there's some I would see him is in 2016 in Rogue One. You've seen Rogue One, right? That's some of the Ewoks? It's the one with the Ewoks. It's the one where they like put Luke on a fucking thing and they try to eat him. Like a spit roast. Before Rogue One, I saw him in Out of the Furnace. How was that? It's a real dumb movie, but he plays a cop. Go figure. And he's really good in it. But the movie itself is just fucking dumb as shit. I never finished it. Did you see The Butler? That's I did his, see The Butler. I did I, see, you did? Yeah, I did see The Butler. It was an okay noir. It got a lot of critical praise. Filmed on digital. That's on, a noir? Yeah. Like a neo-noir. Like The Butler's trying to solve a mystery. There's like, and I, I couldn't tell you what the fuck happened. I honestly, like, I tried. I tried. This is also, we can get into this about how in like the teens of the 2000s, Hollywood sort of fell apart and became streaming and became, unless you were like big budget things, you were not anything. There was no, like A24 has started to kind of push itself back into a position and there are elements of mid-tier movies starting to reappear in movie theaters. But in that element from about 2010 to about now, there have been not that many mid-tier movies that have appeared in any way that like you could access them easily. Or like I said, you'd have to seek them out actively and figure out which streaming service they're on. And if you don't know, then you don't know and they're gone and they just don't exist. And then someone's like, oh, you've never watched this show? It has them on it. And you're like, oh, fucking, I guess Kevin Bacon does still have a career. I don't fucking know. I don't like it's. He loves dick. He's, he's, he's got a giant dick based on. Wild things. Uh, so Rogue One. He plays Saw Gerrera in Rogue One. He plays the terrorist adopted dad of Jenner So. And 
like I said, brings a weird gravitas to that movie that nobody else, you know, like I really they wasted him. I agree, but I would also say them. I would say though of like personally, here we go, spoiler alert, of the new Star Wars movies, the first Abrams one was okay. I kind of liked Rogue One more. I liked Diego Luna. I liked that robot. I liked how nihilistic and insane some of those action sequences are. I liked Ben Mendelsohn and Mads Milkson. I thought they were swinging for the fences. It felt like a weird nihilistic 80s Star Wars movie that a lot of like the Star Wars stuff hasn't felt like. Like Gareth Edwards is like a true super Star Wars nerd. But I understand what you're saying. It's I couldn't tell you any of his lines. I could he's like I remember his lines from the teaser trailer. Mm. I think he was great in the teaser trailer. And then they went and reshot half the fucking movie. And whatever they put in that movie was terrible. <laughs> I think that happened a lot with that movie. This is Disney's problem with Star Wars. Is they're so under the gun to make money with these things. And Marvel is like smashing their ass. And literally George Lucas is like breathing down their neck that if they don't make enough money, he's going to get the fucking rights back. That they literally are just like, it has to be a super hit. It has to hit every demographic. It can't be anything. And so there is... I think it's one of those ones a little bit like a Fincher or a Nolan movie where they thought Rogue One was going to be dead in the water and it made a ton of fucking money. And then they made The Last Jedi. They were like, this is going to be the biggest movie ever. And it bombed in terms of a Star Wars movie. And now they like don't know which direction to go in. And that's a whole different story. We can get into this whole thing. This whole episode has been a whole bunch of other different stories. Uh, well, I mean, see, but there's an element because Forrest Whitaker is such an interesting chameleon actor I think at the end of the day, Forrest Whitaker is this amazing actor. Yeah. And he's also a professional. And even when he makes bad movies, there's nothing really to They're like, never his fault. Yeah, exactly. He just, he made them and uh, it didn't work. And then he moves on. Like you said, he, it's not that. He's too respectable. Right. For any type of comedy podcast about mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. All we could literally do is go, well, he missed on that one, but the right. next one was fucking great. Right. It seems like he's kind of a... Decent like, human being. Yeah, exactly. A decent human being who has his own personal life, that it's not like some sort of crazy bullshit. You can't really talk about that. And it's and that's good. I'm not like saying... But like you said, for a comedy movie <laughs> podcast, it's a very weird scenario because yeah. it's like, here's one of arguably America's greatest movie actors of all time. And sure, he's done some stupid shit. But he was, yeah. he tried something. He tried to, and also none of his stupid shit is like dumb. It never went down some weird, dumb trail. Like, like Nicholas Cage did, or, you know, yeah. like it's never, it, it, it literally was like, I'm going to try this. He took some swings. He took some swings at the fence and he, he whiffed and whatever. And then he moved on. He was like, yeah, well, I mean, there is a certain side inside of my head where it's like, there's a possibility that battlefield earth is a huge hit. And your buddy, John Travolta asked you to be in it. Like, it might work. I don't know. Yeah. And then it didn't work. And he was just like, okay. And then he wiped his hands and was like, all right, that's cool. I tried. Yeah. I tried. I got no fucking stakes in this fire. I'm out. And then he made other stuff. You know, it's no, I love Forrest Whitaker. And I think we've learned that at the end of the day, he's amazing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's he's a real artist. He really is. He really is. I, I, whenever he's in a movie, I've enjoyed it. I'll put it that way also, which I can't or say enjoyed him. I, even when I saw Battlefield Earth, I was like, you're too good for this. You really are. Oh, like, yeah. he's acting his ass off. He's not doing That it. weird alien character he played. He's, there was a backstory. Oh, I'm so better written than the L. Ron Hubbard's backstory. You better fucking believe it. See, but that's the problem is that, like, sociopaths and really amazing artists often, like, you only get one side or the other. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, if you're a full tilt sociopath who starts a fucking religion, you can't really be all that talented. You're compensating for something. And so somebody who, like, knows, like, oh, shit, I'm really good at lots of stuff. I don't need all this. I don't need all this shit. I don't need people fucking congratulating me. Like, we're performers, and we make art, and we're actors, so we all have, like, you know, some sort of weird thing where we would like people to listen to us. There are varying degrees, you yeah. know? It's like, you'd like people to respect your performance art versus creating a weird mega cult. <laughs> like there are two very distinctly different things, which is why I'm starting my new pay in service called Bonnertron. And I know the secrets to the universe. You just have to send me eight 99 in a self-marked envelope to Brian Tepps's address at Brian Tepps house, Chicago, Illinois. Okay. So it wasn't our funniest episode, but I hope you learned something. I hope you got something. 
And I apologize. I don't really apologize. I'm not really sorry. You listen to this whole episode, you sucker. Um, or did you? <laughs> did you? Come back to it later. Okay, so let's pick our blockbuster wall. What's your What's your top three Forrest Whitaker movies? Top three. Number three, I'm going to go with Arrival. Ooh, we didn't even talk. God damn it. That's it. I'm out of here. This isn't our apartment. Don't wreck it. I'll do whatever I want. So he's in Arrival. Denny Villeneuve, who we've talked about, who we love, is yeah. also, uh, thinks he's a great actor. Big surprise. It's an amazing movie. I remember the exact seat I sat in in the theater. I didn't know Forrest Whitaker was in it. I was very happy to see him. I'm always happy to see Forrest Whitaker pop up in something. True. And uh, Arrival's a fucking perfect movie. I remember the feeling in my chest when the fucking mm. climax happened and all the stuff gets revealed. It's spectacular. And the movie wouldn't have, the movie would still be good, but without force Whitaker there to carry the middle part mm. or keep it more grounded, it wouldn't be as good. Agreed. I really like his character at arrival. Actually, it's the opposite of what I was saying of that. It's, it's a sort of, not an antagonist, but a, a challenger. Someone who's, yes. you know, it's an interesting. But he's not like, he's not a total mm-hmm. government goon. He listens. Right. He says, I forget the line because I haven't seen Arrival in like a year. But mm-hmm. there's that part where fucking Amy Adams is talking to him and trying to convince him. And he just goes, yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever right. it is, it's just, he delivers it. And it's so good. He's like the G-man who's like, no, you have to explain this to me. I'm the... I would make the argument that you could put Forrest Whitaker in anything and he would pull it off. Like you could put him in any role about anything and he would pull it off. He's literally that level of actor. If someone told me that Forrest Whitaker was going to play the little mermaid, I would honestly be like, I would kind of watch that. You know, like, I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but I would see it. I mean, you're telling me that I'm wrong, like that he would not be able to pull it off somehow. Like, is he Ursula or is he the Little Mermaid? I don't. Either way, I don't. Like, I would watch it. Yeah, like he, he would go fucking find he, a fish that talked and hang out with it. And he would figure it out. He would be that sort of level of actor. He is that. I think that's what's different than maybe any of the other performers or artists that we've talked about so far. Is that. He's like an assassin. He's like a fucking, he's a samurai, if you fucking will. He literally, it's something that maybe Jarmusch fucking caught on to is that he is a fucking acting samurai. You want him to study and do the shit, he'll put in the fucking homework and he will fucking do it and it will get done and it will be good. He's not going to fucking make something that's bad. He's not going to turn in a bad performance. No. I should say, like, that's not going to happen. Like, it's going to be, from his angle, it's going to be fucking good. The whole movie might not work, but he's going to fucking turn in good shit. With that, I would say, I would say my three is The Crying Game. I love The Crying Game. It's by far Neil Jordan's best movie, even though I love Interview with a Vampire. It's, I think, one of those ones that's kind of been forgotten to time a little bit. Like, we just don't talk about it anymore. But I still think it's actually very socially relevant right now. Like, it's, and he's really good in it. And I wish I could (laughs) remember the bad guy from Stargate's name, who is the, the the romantic lead but i think the crying game is my three what's your two nick i know my number one it's difficult to pick a number two yeah so i just have to go with phenomenon <laughs> no i'm gonna go with panic room okay yeah oh good panic call. Room is amazing we didn't really get to that much of a chance to talk about it what um you know what's crazy is i remember seeing in the theater and i love david fincher and this is kind of at the height of fincherism like he had I think this might have been the one right after Fight Club, maybe. It was, yeah. And everyone was, like, expecting something gigantic, and he made this kind of smaller, more condensed movie, this kind of tighter, more old John Frankenheimer kind of... Dwight Yoakam movie? Yeah, you know, like, where it's... Also, um, Case 2's first movie. Mm -hmm. Also, he put goddamn... 30 Seconds to Mars in it again. With cornrows. And kind of allowed him to be, like, if he doesn't put him in that movie, does he become him? Do we get fucking... He'd always be Jordan Catalano. I know, but does he get an Oscar? Does... No, I mean, without Panic Room, he'd always be Jordan Catalano. I agree, I agree. But without David Fincher, does, you know... Jared Leto. Does Jared Leto <laughs> fucking... <laughs> a moment. I was literally... Does Jared Leto fucking have that career without Panic Room? I don't think he deserves it, though. I But that's, but those couple of interchanges with him and Forrest Whitaker are fucking yeah, awesome. They're amazing. I was like, I will give Leto. I was like, there might be something more to this dude than I thought. Some yeah. of those fucking where he's the crazy guy and fucking 
ostensibly Forrest Whitaker's playing the Ed Harris in the rock role where yeah. he's like, I'm up to this shit, but I'm not psycho. And Leto's like, oh, oh, I'm, I'm fucking psycho. And there's this really interesting, like, you can see them bouncing off of each other. And that's crazy. Like, you would eventually have two best actor winners fucking going at each other in a David Fincher movie. So if you, I agree with you. If, yeah. you, if you've never seen Panic Room, like, pull your head out of your ass. And it's a shame that it didn't make a ton of money. But it's also one of those movies where it's like, is can I tell a really quick story? Yeah. Fuck dude. Which is so embarrassing. You can tell so any many story levels. you want, Nick. So this is our podcast. Uh, <laughs> should I name the band? I don't want to name the band. Anyways. So Uh-oh. it's this bad. Is so it, Panic, uh, it's the weekend panic room comes out. So, uh, Oh, and so my AFI. I wish <laughs> I wish. Okay. So me and three of my friends, Molly crew, we're going to go with my sister and three of her friends. Yeah. To go see Thursday at the House of Blues because we were a bunch of fuck you taps because there were a bunch of fucking lame assholes at the time. That's and bad. Uh, by the grace of the Dark Lord Satan, that show <laughs> sold out, so we didn't get to go to that. So we were like, "Well, we don't know, blah blah. We'll just we'll hang out a different time," which was super weird because my friends and her, my sister. First of all, my sister at that point never hung out with me. Yeah. And then her and her friends never wanted to hang out with me and my right. fucking dorks. Yeah. So we all went our separate ways. Yeah. Me and my friends got really fucking high and we went to go see Panic Room. Mm. And we go and we sit next to in like the last front row before like those four seats in the front when you're fucked. Mm. We were there and there's these two old women next to us who were just upset by how much we smell like weed. <laughs> So they got up and moved and sitting across from me, two seats over is my sister and her three friends and they're high as shit too. So we all move a seat over and we're all sitting together and hanging out without realizing we were going to do it. We watched Panic Room and we all really liked it. And the way out, I went and I did the Simpsons Empire Strikes Back thing. We're walking and I elbow my friend Victor. I go, hey, watch this. I'm like, I can't believe they killed Jodie Foster. And some dude in line followed me for a minute, <laughs> screaming at me. That He's like, what the fuck would you do? It's opening weekend. Motherfucker. I'm like, oh, sorry. I didn't realize I was talking that loud. <laughs> I can't believe she was... <laughs> Luke yeah. Skywalker's dad. That is something you would do. You would. Yes. <laughs> to be fair, I do shout those things. Like when I come out of Marvel movies, I, yeah. I'm like, I can't believe that Spider-Man gave a full penetration blowjob to Iron Man at the end of Infinity War. And then people are like, dude, my kids are here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you have to explain what blowjobs are. Now. Uh, Alex, what's your number two? My number two then is, in the words of Steve the Hare Harrington, when he bumps into the cardboard cutout of Phoebe Cates. Oh, hey, Fast Times. Fast Times is one of my favorite movies. I love Fast Times at Richmond High. I love the character ensemble of it. I love all the mayhem of it. And for me, it's one of the first Forrest Whitaker things that I, I just love him as that in even this movie of everybody being all these weird A-list actors who will then go in to explode that he stands out. He is doing his own thing. He That's- is... I love it. I love Fast Times. I think you should see Fast Times. I yeah. I put it he on He should the, have broke out immediately after that. I agree. I but agree. Then he wound up doing all those roles where he like didn't have a character name or he was just like guy number two at the bus stop. Well, but I mean, he did like Bloodsport. He was, he was the cop lead. But that was like how many years are between Bloodsport? A couple of years. I mean, he's making movies. He's doing, he's doing plays. I mean, he's still debating on whether he's going to be a Hollywood actor or a theater actor. There's a little bit of that. But yes, I understand what you're saying. And there's a little, obviously there's racism in Hollywood. Like That's what I was pointing out. Yeah, no, agreed. He's not only racism, but he's also, uh, like we said, like he's an awesome actor and he transcends that he doesn't look like Denzel. He doesn't look like fucking... Brad Pitt. You know what I'm saying? He looks like a dude. He does. And so he only literally has his fucking insane talent going for him. Like, and which is such a <laughs> fucked up thing. Yes. To have to deal yes. with your whole life. Mm-hmm. I think he did. Okay, though. I think he did. He's okay. doing fine. He's doing fine. He's what's fine. your number two? I did my number two. What's your, uh, what's your number one? My number one is Ghost Dog. Well, we're going to have to close this on this because I think we're in agreement. I, yeah. I, I don't have. This is the first time ever, by the way. I think so. I, I don't. Thank you, Forrest Whitaker, for bringing us together. I, there's, there is no more. There's nothing. Yeah. There is no more number one than. No. I mean, like, Bird's a good movie. I think you should watch it. Last King of Scotland is a last, horror film. Last, kind, last King of Scotland is fucking rad, and you should watch it. But, but Ghost, Ghost Dog. Dog. Ghost Dog, dude. Yeah. It's. 
fucking Wu Tang did the entire soundtrack. It's transcendent. It really is. Yeah. It's the Jarmusch doing French New Wave. It's Jarmusch when Jarmusch comes together. It really makes like Dead Man or fucking Coffee and Cigarette. It's like he may, but I think the actual Jarmusch masterpiece is Ghost Dog. I think it's Ghost Dog, honestly. Not just for Jarmusch, but also for Forrest Whitaker. It's it's Ghost Dog. Yeah. And if you've never seen Ghost Dog, then if we can impart anything on this fucking podcast, you need to fucking watch. Yeah. Just listen to us. Rent it on Amazon Prime. Just watch fucking get it on Criterion. Buy an old fucking Blockbuster. Like, I literally had an old Blockbuster DVD case with it in there that I stole from Blockbuster. Like, nice. Because it was just, I love that movie. I still watch it like once a year. Yeah. I, it's awesome. I'm probably going to watch it after this. because I, I will. I love, didn't watch it before this episode. It's fucking. And if you want to see a bunch of old New York Italian yes. character actors. Yeah. Also that. Jarmusch is like taking this element of like actually saying like there are black people who live in New York and there are like Italian people who live like there are racial dynamics there are socioeconomic dynamics like it's not your average Hollywood movie and it it blew my mind the first time I saw it it really yeah. did and I love I would also with that argument say you should see fucking Melville's fucking La Samurai because it is also rad it is also it is. fucking dope as fuck in very different ways I know they when you homage remake a movie, which is very different than remaking a movie. But when you homage remake a movie, a lot of times people fuck it up. These are two classic pieces of cinema, truly classic. And we'll have a French new wave episode. We'll might even do a Melville episode, but like, yeah, do yourself a favor. But, uh, look, I think that's all I can do on fucking goddamn <laughs> forest. I got, I got nothing left. I got nothing. I got nothing left. And I just like to trail off. If I were to posit an actor that I was like, look, if you don't know who this guy is, you should watch it. Like to someone who wants to become an actor or to someone who wants to figure out a way to combine movie acting with really old school theatrical method acting and have it actually work and every, all the pieces fit together. You need to watch Forrest Whitaker. You need to watch Just watch his entire filmography and see what he's doing. And notice that in every single movie, he's doing an extremely different character. There is an extremely different character to each of them. And it is exquisite. Each piece, each thing. And like I said, it's hard to joke around about. It, it really is. It's that fucking level of good. And maybe we should have episodes where we don't fucking dick around the entire time. Like, and I think that it makes sense that we do it for Forrest because his shit is the fucking best. But also, John Travolta is a clown, and we will continue to make fun of him. All right, everybody. Nick, you did a great job. I don't know, but thanks. That's great. Uh, Brian, you're doing an even better job, and I love both of you, and this has been Blockbuster Film School. Uh, I want you to drive your car real fast. I want you to do drugs. I want you to do whatever the shit you want because there's a very real possibility that our civilization could collapse at any fucking moment. If it doesn't collapse by next week, I'm Alex Bonner with Nick Sauter and our super producer, Brian Tepps, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Blockbuster Film